Father, we just come right now and, and we just give you our hearts. We just give you our attention. And we give you permission to teach us, Lord. We, we invite you to teach us your word. Because we do want to draw closer to you. We want to be more fruitful, more effective for you, for your kingdom. And so we want to hear what you have to say to us today, Father. Thank you for your word, your awesome word. And Lord, we do pray that you'd give us our portion for today, our daily bread for this day. And we thank you for it. And we do have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord will say to us. And we have every intention by your grace, Father, to put it into practice, to be doers of the word and not just hearers. So we thank you and we praise you. And we give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. John chapter 8. Starting with verse 31. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We'll read it again. Jesus spoke to those Jews who believed in him. If you abide in my word, key word, abide, abide. If you abide or continue in my word. Then you are my disciples indeed, and then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What does it mean to abide in his word? You know, also in John chapter 15, he says, if my word abides in you and you abide in my word, or vice versa, vice versa. If you abide in my word, my word abides in you, ask what you wish and it shall be done for you. And again, that word abide. And abide means to continue in. It means to keep, obey, or do. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, if you keep or you do or you obey my word and you continue in that, then are you my disciples. He says, and then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Anybody ever heard the word disciple before? Anybody ever heard of that? And, and I'm sure many of us have heard the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. You don't have to turn there, but it's, if you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when people say or Christians say, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know God's will for my life. Right here in these verses is a huge part of it right there. Jesus tells them, he says, go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Make disciples. So... Generally speaking, for every single one of us, God's will is for us to be a disciple 
and make disciples. So if you want to know what God's will for you is, it's, you know, summed up in a, in a phrase, to be a disciple and to make disciples. Amen? To be a disciple and make disciples. And when he says um, teaching them to observe, that word observe means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard. In one translation it says teaching them to obey. Again, teaching them, as you preach the word to them, also teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, so we see that God's will for us is to be a disciple and to go and make disciples. So let me ask you this question. What is a disciple? If I were to ask you, if you are a disciple, many of you may raise your hands. Well, so then I would ask you, what is a disciple? We know we're supposed to be one and go make them. But what is a disciple? And so I'm asking you. Anybody want to give me their definition? Now, I don't need a long theological discourse. No, but just basic, simple. Yes, Wayne. What's it? A disciplined learner. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Jackie? One that stays continuously in the Word. Okay, one that stays continuously in the Word. Obviously, God's Word. Anybody else? One who follows God? Is that what you said? Okay, a disciple is someone who follows another person. Okay, follows Jesus if we're talking about being his disciples. Becky? A follower. Okay. A believer. Anybody else? Excuse me? A teacher? Okay. Disciple is a teacher? All right. Anybody else? Yes, Martin. So a disciple, you'd say, is someone who becomes, if you're a disciple of Jesus, someone who becomes like Jesus. Okay, one more. Anybody? Imitator? Okay. Okay, good. You guys gave some, yes, sister. Obedience? Okay, so obeying. Obedience, all right. All right, you know, it's interesting how we all have different definitions of what a disciple is. And obviously it's important to know what a disciple is if we're to be one and to go and make them, right? So if we're going to go make disciples, we need to know. I think it's important for us to know what it is. And I have a definition that I've learned fairly recently. And I love this definition. And this is a definition that I'm going to go with probably from now on or until Jesus tells me otherwise. Um, I think it's a real good one. It comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. When Jesus told, you remember when... Jesus talked to Peter in the beginning, and he said to them, you can turn there if you'd like to, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. I hope that's where it's at. 
Yes. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And it says, and then he, Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus told these guys who he was calling to be his disciples. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So three things, follow him, follow me. So here's what a disciple is. A person who is following Christ, he says, follow me. And then a person who is being changed by Christ because he said, follow me and I will make you. Okay, so a follower of him being changed by him. And then he says, I will make you fishers of men. So someone who's committed to the mission of Christ. So I'm following him. I'm being changed by him. And I'm committed to the mission that he has because if his he's wanting to change me. Or make me become fishers of men, then he has a purpose for me to follow him. Does that make sense? So, a disciple, by our definition that we're going to grab, is a person who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Does that make sense? So, that's what we are to become, and that's what we are to make. Remember, he said, go and make disciples. And so as we're working with someone, if we're saying, follow me as I follow Christ, and we're discipling and pouring into their lives, then we're encouraging them to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to be committed to the mission of Jesus, which is people. Because he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, which means reaching people for the, for the kingdom. Reaching people for the kingdom. And if you think about it, this is what... The kingdom is about. It's about reaching people. So how do we follow Jesus? We say, well, I'm following Jesus. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You can write this down. I have to turn there. It says, if any man desires to come after me or follow me, this is what Jesus says. If any man... Desires to follow after me. So if I'm saying, okay, I want to follow you, Jesus, here's what I must do. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and then come after me. So for me to follow Jesus, there are some requirements. I must pick up my cross, deny myself, and follow him. In other words, picking up my cross symbolizes death to myself. All my ambitions, all my plans, all my wants, desires, everything I want to do, I have to let them die. As I'm taking up my cross daily. And, it, you know, it's interesting. It says daily. This isn't a one-time thing. I don't take up my cross the first day I'm born again and then go on. But he says every day, because every day we have to make this choice. Who are we, we going to follow, Jesus or am I going to follow my own plans? You know, the interesting thing, I'm going to read John chapter 3, verse 36. Because, you know, in John three sixteen, which almost everybody knows that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then skipping down to John three thirty six, 
at a New American Standard Bible, it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Read that same verse in the Amplified. It says, And he who believes in, has faith in, clings to, relies on, the Son has now, now possesses eternal life. But whoever disobeys, is unwilling, unbelieving toward, refuses to trust in, disregards, is not subject to, the Son will never see or experience life. But instead, the wrath of God abides on him. God's displeasure remains on him. His indignation hangs over him continually. But what I want to bring your attention to is the word, he who believes in him. In one translation, it says, he who believes in the son has eternal life. He who does not believe does not have eternal life. But the better translation, the more correct translation says, he who believes in him has life, but he who does not obey does not have life. In other words, the word believe and obey are interchangeable terms. So to believe in Jesus means to obey him. And I think that's where we have a lot of problem here in America. Due to what I call the Americanized gospel. And that's another sermon for another time. But where people think that just be, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. And they think that that belief or that agreement or that mental assent makes them a Christian. But if you read the New Testament, when it talks about the gospel of the kingdom and Jesus talking, John came before him and then Jesus said this and the apostle said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, there's a requirement to embrace the kingdom, to embrace salvation. The first thing is repentance. In other words, going back to what Jesus said again, I must die to myself. I'm going my own way to repent means to turn around and go a different way. What many people are walking is they're going this way and they adapt the I believe in Jesus. I believe and I agree with who he is and they're still walking their own way. And they think that because it's okay to walk their own way, do what they want to do and agree with that. The fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, they think they're okay. But there's one thing they're forgetting. The word says repent. And when you look at Jesus, he says a lot of things. You know, he says things like, if any man, I'm not the paraphrase, but any, anyone who comes to me, if they don't, basically they have to love, you have to love Jesus more than your mother, father, brother, sister. If you're not willing to forsake them for him, then you're not worthy to follow, worthy to follow him. In other words, he must be the preeminence in our lives. He's number one. He's number one. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Don't answer that out loudly, but I want us to think about this. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? John 14, 15 says, Jesus says this to his, he's saying this to his disciples, to Peter and all those guys, he's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or if you love me, you will obey me in another translation. And I thought this was interesting. You know, a song that I, I enjoy and I uh, enjoy singing. I think it's a Chris Tomlin song, Tomlinson or Tomlin, uh, friend of God. Remember that song? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. 
you know, a really cool song. You know, God invites us to be his friends. But then I was reading in John chapter 15, verse 12. Hold on a second. Let's see. Yeah, starting with verse 12. It says, this is my commandment. And this is Jesus again talking. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Condition. You are my friends. Condition, if you do what I command you. So we only have the right to sing that song, I'm a friend of God, if we're doing what Jesus tells us to do. And it's very important, and I know um, um, this is not new stuff that I'm sharing this morning, but it is things that we need to consider strongly. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, very common verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him or in all your ways make him known. And then he shall direct your paths. And the word direct means to make straight and right. And so remember the first verse we read. Where Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciple. So the, to be able to tell if I'm a disciple of Jesus, that means I'm continuing in his word. And to continue means to obey. It means to do. It means to learn it. I have to learn what it says. And then it means to do it. You know, the Bible says that I have been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I believe it says serve God with your bodies. I might be getting a couple of scriptures mixed up. But basically, we've been bought with a price. The Bible talks about us being slaves. I know that people don't like that term, that word. Um, You know, servant. Sounds more nicer to the ears. But basically, a master and a servant relationship, one says and the other does. I mean, is that right? You know, the master doesn't say and the servant says, hmm, let me think about that. Let me ponder. Or, you know, sir, I know you said you want me to do this, but I really don't like that idea. Here's what I would like to do. And, you know, that wouldn't or even to an employer. You know, if the employer says, I need I want this done. I want you to get out there and finish this project. I want it done by tomorrow. You know, we wouldn't say to our employer, you know, I really don't have time to do that. There's some uh, other things that I was wanting to consider and think about. Take a few days off. Then if I have time, I'll, I'll get to it. You know, that would seem kind of silly. But a lot of times when it comes to Almighty, creator of the universe, you know, the one who holds the universe in his hand, we think that he can say something and we can agree or disagree with it. Now, we do have that option. But to call myself a disciple and think that I still have that option is a deception. You know, we've all heard the phrase, it's, you know, it's my way or the highway. Well, there's one person who can really say that. And it ain't me and it's not you. 
You know, if, when the church, you know, the Bible talks about Jesus coming back for a, a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle, coming back for a victorious church. And if you look across America, compared to the rest of the world, the church in America is losing. And what I mean by losing, you know, some of the statistics show that that 4,000 churches a year shut their doors. I don't know how many churches start, but a lot, you know, a number of them start and then they, they shut down. And I can't remember all the statistics. I didn't come prepared to share those, so I didn't. I didn't. But just some of the statistics out there about how the church is doing in America is pretty, is pretty sad. All the church splits, all the churches that aren't making it. Um, the people who, you know, the Christians here in America who claim to be born again Christians and their lifestyle, their beliefs. It's like it's, it's really crazy. It's really messed up. And, you know, the scriptures like in, in Matthew chapter 7, I believe it's verse 21, 23. It's around there somewhere. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21 says, and this is Jesus talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. There's another condition right there. There again, it boils down to obeying him. Not, you know, in other words, he's saying a lot of people, just because you say, Jesus, your Lord, Jesus, your Lord, that's not the qualifier for heaven. It says, but he who does the will of my father. And then here's a real scary verse. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And this is even scarier. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, depart from me, who you workers of iniquity or depart from me, you who do your own thing in one translation. In other words, they they have a lifestyle of religion. They're doing some things, whether it's casting out devils or, or miracles, all these kinds. Of, they're doing some religious type things. But Jesus said, I never knew you. You're doing your own thing. You've been doing your own thing the whole time. And then he says, depart from me. I never knew you. That is a scary thing. And the thing that puts the fear of God in me and gives me concern for my country in America is he says many will say. Many. I translate that to mean a lot of people. It says many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? And he'll say, depart from me. So in other words, the way I see that many people are deceived into thinking that they're okay. And they're going to find out when it's too late that they're not okay. When you die and pass on and you're standing before Jesus, it's too late. The decisions you've made have already been set. And it's too late. And so why is this so important? Well, it's obvious why it's important. Determine, you know, our salvation and but remember, we are called to be disciples and we are called to make disciples. 
in comparing the, the um, you know, getting back to the church in America not winning, the church in America is diminishing. The church is not growing. I think they said there was like 4% church growth. And much, much of the church growth is the church down the street growing because members have left the other church and they've started going to this church. So that church grows. But as far as real growth, you know, new believers, new people coming into the kingdom, it's very small. The percentages are very low. But in other parts of the country, China, Africa, um, different parts of the country, the church is growing. There's revival. It's flourishing. Not perfect, but it's growing. It's like, what's going on with our country? And I believe one thing, this isn't the whole thing, but I believe one problem is, see, because think about, think about it like this. If you're in, in a, um, a Middle Eastern country that is predominantly Muslim, and if you're surrounded by Muslims, your family's Muslim, you're, you know, thousand generation Muslim or whatever, and you're in that country, and someone comes to you, a missionary comes to you and preaches the gospel to you, tells you about Jesus. You come under conviction and you're about to make a decision to embrace Jesus and follow him. But before you do, you realize to embrace Jesus means at best, I'm going to be cut off from my family. At worst, I'm going to be killed. Because in Muslim countries, it's against the law. And if you're in a Muslim family and you become a Christian, they'll cut you off. No more inheritance or anything. And then they, you can even be killed. But yet there are many Muslims, many people in those countries saying yes to Jesus, knowing the stakes. And remember, Jesus said, if you don't love me more than mom, dad, brother, sister. In other words... I either have to choose Jesus or I have to stay with my family. And a number of them may not receive Jesus because they don't want to reject their family. And so they're making that choice. And that's what Jesus said is required. And so in other countries, when a person accepts Jesus, they know that their life could be on the line. But in America, it's different. In America, because of our freedoms, which are wonderful, I'm not complaining about our freedoms at all. But because of the situation we're in, I can be deceived to think that I can embrace Jesus and still live the way I want to. Because embracing Jesus, for the most part in America, doesn't, doesn't bring uh, conflict, doesn't bring persecution. I mean, you see what I'm saying? See what I'm getting at? And so what happens is a person in another country, and of course I'm generalizing, I'm being generalized. A person in another country where their life's at stake, their relationship with Jesus is serious. In other words, they're, they're committed. They want to learn, they want to grow, and they, they fall in love with him, and they follow him, and they, they just get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Knowing that any time they could be taken out. For as here in America... We don't have that same pressure, that same intensity. A lot of distractions.
But the problem is thinking that I can say I'm a Christian and live my own life or do my own thing. And that concerns me, especially when Jesus says, many will say. First, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. He said, many will say this. And then he says, depart from me. I never knew you. So what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to continue in his word? Practically speaking, you know, in a nutshell, I believe we need to get to the point to where whatever situation I'm in. And I'm not talking about crisis situations. Because that right there is a problem. People, people are doing their own thing and then they get themselves in a crisis and then, oh God, help me. I'm not talking about wait till you get in trouble. I'm talking about everyday situations, relationships, money, my job. Whatever I find, the situation I find myself in or the decision I have to make, our response should be, God, what do you say about this? What does your word say about this? And then I figure out what it says. If I don't know what it says, I learn it either reading the word or ask someone to help me. What does God's word say about this situation? What should my response be? You say, well, the Bible does say this and this and this. And you say, oh, okay. Well, since I'm a follower of Jesus, then this is what I must do. And then we trust God to give us the grace to carry it out, and he will. Or we can take this approach. This is the situation I'm in. God's word says to do this. And I say, well, I really don't want to do that. I know. I'll do this. In other words, we can too many times take the approach, we see what God's word has to say, and then we decide if we agree with it or if we're going to follow it or not. And obviously, that's not the correct, it's not the correct approach. I believe that Well, I know the Lord has put on my heart, and I shared this a little bit at the beginning of the year, but it's become stronger and stronger. We want to see God's kingdom manifest in this earth. Do we or do we not? We do. We want to see and receive and embrace the provision that he has for us. We're tired of hearing all the promises that keep being in the future, but we want to see the fulfillment of them now. And there are some things that, th- that are for the future, but there are many things that are for now. God is saying, I want you to have this now. But the church, on a big part, is not embracing that now because we're too immature.
You know, someday a 13-year-old is going to get to drive a car. But you wouldn't dare give him those keys right now, would you? But he has the promise. He has the thing to look forward to. You know what? Someday I'm going to get to drive. I'm going to get to drive. I'm going to get to drive. And then he grows and matures. Now, let me ask you this. Just because the person becomes 16, do you just hand them the keys? Oh, you're 16. Here you go. Or do you see if they mature into the ability to take that powerful tool that can bring death to people, make sure they have the maturity to be able to handle that situation? They have to grow into it. Is that right? I mean, you would be irresponsible as a parent if you gave an irresponsible 16-year-old keys to a car. But as a parent, you want your child, you do everything you can to help your child mature so they can embrace the things that are for them at that age. You know, your children don't want to stay young and stay in their current situation. They want to grow. They want to grow into freedom and, and pursue the things that, that life has for them, that God has for them. So we do what we can to help them mature and grow into that. That's the same thing that Jesus is inviting us to do. Through a discipleship relationship. He wants us. He made all the provision. He's the one that said that by my stripes you're healed. Go lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Go cast out devils. Raise the dead. I mean, he's the one that said some crazy things. And since he did everything he could to make those things possible, even dying on the cross. Do you think think it... It blesses him or grieves him when we are not mature enough to walk and embrace those things and to share those things with other people. The Bible says not to grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4. But here's the good news. God wants you to. He desires you to walk in everything he has for you. He's made his grace available. He's made his word readily available. He sent himself through the Holy Spirit to come and team up with you and say, okay, I know you don't have a clue, but I got your back. I'm with you. Let's go. Jesus said, I will send the helper and he will help you and he will lead you and guide you in all the truth. All the things that I want to tell you now, you won't be able to handle it. But the the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll be able to help you and lead you and guide you in all these things. And I have my word for you to read and, and to consume. This word will bring you life. It will bring you freedom. He who continues in my word, that person is going to experience freedom. Remember John chapter 8? If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you want to be free or stay in bondage? The things that God has for us are for our good. Do you think it's exciting to be able to lay hands on a sick person and see him whole? Do you think it's exciting to be able to talk to a person? Maybe when you first start talking to them, they're an atheist, they're a professed atheist. And by the time you finish encountering them, they commit their lives to Jesus. And you have the opportunity to do that, to share with them. You have an opportunity to pray for someone in their situation and to see their whole situation totally change. Because God intervenes 
on your behalf. To see a family going one way. Maybe the father's an alcoholic, the mother's abusive, they're dysfunctional, they're going this way. And you get the opportunity to be a part of their lives, to come into their lives, build relationships with them, and you share the love of Jesus to them. And because of your influence and your witness, they repent, give their lives to Jesus, and that whole family changes direction. Does that sound like fun? The Bible says that God has created good works for us to walk in. Wonderful works for us to walk in. I would submit to you that the reason why most of our Christianity is boring is because we're walking in our works and not his works. I mean, think about it. Daily life, it gets boring, it gets old, it gets frustrating, it gets discouraging. You know that you hear the same old thing, the daily grind. And life, life is not all about excitement. I'm not talking about that. But I'm willing to believe that his life that he has for us is more adventurous and more exciting than our life. When you take on the attitude that every person you encounter, because if you believe that God ordains your footsteps and you're just walking in life, you're at, at your job or at the store or whatever, and you believe, you take on the mentality, the mindset that, God, I believe that you ordain my footsteps, that you're leading me. Then when you encounter people, you see them as a God encounter. And your heart is, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say to this person? What would you like me to do? And your heart is set that way, and God begins to speak to you. Tell this person that their car will be fixed tomorrow. Like, their car will be fixed? Of course, that doesn't make any sense to you. And you say, you know what, I'm a Christian, and, you know, formalities. I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that your car is going to be fixed tomorrow. And they look at you, their eyes get real big, and they say, how do you, how'd you know about my car? Well, I really don't know anything about your car. But the Holy Spirit knows about their car. When you allow God to encounter people through you, not only will their lives be impacted, but your life will be impacted as well. And these shouldn't be random occurrences that happen only when we go treasure hunting. Once every six weeks or when we decide as a group to go, let's go evangelize and we get together. Now, doing that is, is exciting. It's fun. I believe it's God ordained and that's OK because I'm all about that stuff. But that shouldn't be the only times that we make ourselves available for God to minister through us. When we get up in the morning and we spend time with the Lord because we get up early enough to have time to spend with him. We spend time with the Lord, reading his word, worshiping, however we do that. And we say, Lord, I'm making myself available to you today to do what you want to do. To encounter the people through me that, that, I, that I come in contact with. And it doesn't have to be a big thing like laying hands on a sick person. It doesn't have to be that kind of grandiose or scary type stuff. It simply... Letting God love people through you. And it can be a simple smile, an encouraging word, just a blessing. Especially people who hear good news, a lot, bad news a lot, and then you come and you're the only good news that they've heard all week. 
One of the things that encourages me about this church is I believe it's full of people who want the things of God. I believe you want what God has for you. And that encourages me. And I believe that God is continuing. He's inviting us on a journey. He says, keep coming, keep coming. And as we continue to follow him and we embrace the discipleship relationship and I say, Jesus, yes, I am your disciple. I will get in your word. I will, I will follow you. And you'll be amazed at what he will do, not only in you, but through you. We need to quit grabbing a hold of promises. You know, sometimes we'll go through the word and we'll find a promise. Like it says, ask me whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Uh, John chapter 15. You realize that's in there? Ask whatever you wish, you desire, and it shall be done for you. But do you realize there's a condition to that promise? But we skip the conditions and go right to the promise. Ooh, I want that. And Jesus is the one that says, this is what I want for you so that you can prove that you're my disciples to glorify God. I want you to be able to ask me for things and it happens. But if you abide in me and my word abides in you, abide, abide, abide. Then ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So we have to do is learn to abide. Learn to follow by abiding and allowing his life, his word to change us. Remember, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. So everything I do in life should line up with that that definition. And in this coming up year, year 2012, as long as the Mayans aren't correct and we all disappear or whatever. I mean, if we all go to heaven, I'm okay with that. I will not complain one bit. Jesus says, I'm back. Woohoo! I'm ready. But if we so happen to be here through the year 2012, we've got things to do. I mean, God's got a plan for us. And of course, it has all to do with being a disciple and making disciples. And we are going to become more intentional in that process of how to be a disciple and how to make disciples. You know, the interesting thing about making disciples is regardless of how old you are, if you're old enough to be a disciple, then you can make disciples and you're never too old to make disciples. So there's always work for every every one of us. There's stuff for every one of us to do. And so we're going to talk about how do we follow Jesus? How do we abide? How do we do that more effectively? How do we get our everyday lives to line up with his word? How can I walk in more of the fulfillment and more of the the provision that he's made available for me? You know, that series, The Fear of the Lord, I'm really excited about that because one thing we want to be and do in this church is we want to be balanced. You know, one thing that grieves my heart, <clears throat> I saw this, I saw this happen years ago and it's left an impression and it, it, it's still with me. 
I mean, it's not a... Well, anyway, it just got my attention. We were, when I was a youth pastor, and we took the youth to a youth event. And Eastman Curtis, uh, man, he was a, a nationally known youth man. And uh, we were at this conference, and God was doing incredible miracles. I mean, healings, it was awesome. I mean, talking about a, a spectacular show, it was incredible. My mouth was hanging open. My eyes were bugging out of my head. One example, because he prayed for people, and then he said, and these are teenagers, a bunch of teenagers. You don't typically fake it. You know, they're real. They're going to tell you how it is. And I remember this one kid had these real thick glasses, you know, what they would call Coke bottle glasses or whatever, Coke bottle bottoms, or these real thick glasses. And he was saying how God healed him. And he took off his glasses, or he held them in his hand, and he said, well, can you read that sign that was in the back of the room? And with my glasses, I was having to squint to read the sign. But this kid had his glasses off, and he was reading the sign. Boom, boom, boom. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And one kid, his arm was broke or messed up, and he was healed. I mean, all these cool things were happening with these kids. And I was just amazed. God, you're so awesome. You're so cool. You are so cool. And I was just pumped. Then after the service was over, you know, they brought the service to a close, and we were dismissed. And I was just sitting there. Like, man, we were in God's presence. God was here. This was incredible. Were you at that, Claire? Do you remember that? Okay. Mike, were you at that? Remember that meeting? Tulsa? Maybe. After it was over, I was just sitting there. I was just like, man, that was so awesome. And I remember these young kids, young kids, these young people were kind of in front of me. And I believe two of them, at least one of them, maybe two of them were ones that just got healed. In other words, they experienced the power of God booming their bodies. And so I was sitting there in awe and amaze. And so I figured, well, everybody's in awe and amaze that God was just here and even touched her. So I was watching these two guys. And then they got with their girlfriends. And then they started acting in a way that I thought, what? And it broke my heart. It's like, how can you go from God's glory to doing your own thing within a matter of minutes? Now, it's not like they were having sex right there. I'm not saying that. But the way they were all over each other, very disrespectful. It wasn't right. And it just grieved me. It's like, my goodness. Another thing that grieves me that, that I hear about, you know, where, where a bunch of people, a bunch of young people can worship God. They go to these places and they worship God and the worship's passionate and it's, it's expressive and it's emotional and it's awesome and all that stuff. And so on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever night of the week, they worship God with total abandon. And then the next day, they're having sex with their boyfriends or girlfriends or they're, they're doing stuff that they know is not right. And then the next week, they're back to worshiping passionately. In the next few days, they're back to doing their thing again. Then the next day, they're back to worship. And it's like something is wrong with that picture. I don't believe it honors or pleases God for us to worship Him and then live our own lives. I think it's hypocritical. And what we want here, because we definitely encourage to worship God 
and abandonment and love him and honor him and just get lost in his presence and and be emotional and and, because the Bible invites us to do all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we're doing that. But my lifestyle is a worship unto him, too. The way I treat my wife is a worship unto God, too. The way I raise my children, the way I treat my boss and respect him or her. The way I treat customers, the way I treat people in general is a worship unto God. In other words, I don't worship God on Sunday morning and think that this pleases him when I go out and live like an idiot the rest of the week. And that's not what we're about here. You know, there's a, song, a verse I came across the other day, Psalms 149, verse 6. It says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth, the high praises of God be in your mouth, and a two-edged sword in their hand. That's what we're about. The praises of God, God, I love you, I worship you, I praise you, you're so awesome, you're so worthy of all praise, I honor you and reverence you, and a two-edged sword in our hand. This is my direction right here. This is what I have reverence right here. So we want to be able to love God and fear God and learn the, the right combination. Too many times people can focus on the love of God and just focus on that attribute of God and get off balance. Or they can focus on the fear of God, the judgment, the severity and all that kind of stuff and get off balance. But when we learn that God invites us to love him and fear him at the same time and, and learn what that means and walk with that, then I believe your relationship with God will take off. And it's wonderful. And that series that we're, we're going to be doing next month, it does a wonderful job of explaining that and teaching that balance. And so in 2012, we're going to be, we're going to be continue to, we've been doing things, we're going to continue to move more towards intentional discipleship. How do we do that? How do I disciple somebody? How do I become a disciple? Or how do I walk in that? And I believe one of the main things that being a disciple has to do with is relationship. Relationship. You've noticed us talking a lot about relationship and doing relational things recently. That's been on purpose. That hasn't been an accident. That's been on purpose. Because we cannot walk together in a discipleship relationship without relationship. Because discipleship's not about transferring knowledge, but it's about sharing lives. It's about sharing lives. We'll talk more about that. But I just want to really encourage you. You know, the Sign Up Sheet for the Fear of the Lord series is out there. And I would encourage you, if you are... Considering doing that, you're not sure of your schedule, schedule yet, but you sounds like something you want to do. I would encourage you to go ahead and sign up. That doesn't lock you in, but there's a, a sale on the materials, half off. That if I order them by tomorrow, we get half off. So if I can get an estimated idea of how many materials to order, we'll be able to save a, save a lot of money. And, and we're offering the course to you. You'll get a, a workbook and a DVD series we'll watch together for $5 a person. Can't beat that. $5 a person. So go ahead and stand with me.
Now, we're all at different, different phases in our relationship with the Lord. But go ahead and close your eyes right now, and we're just going to pray. <coughs> but we, right now, we just want to reflect and, and just ask the Lord, Lord, where am I right now? Am I a disciple of yours? Am I doing my own thing? And just let the Holy Spirit talk to you right now. I'm not talking about being a disciple, walking with Jesus and making mistakes and that kind of thing. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We need to get up, repent, ask for forgiveness and move on. But I'm talking about a disciple is basically a surrendered life. He's saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Help me to walk with you. And just evaluate right now to see where you are. And invite the Holy Spirit to help you to grow in your discipleship relationship with Him. And if you recognize there's something or some things going on right now that you know He's not pleased with, Talk to him about those things. Surrender those things to him. I can promise you this. What he has for you is a whole lot better than what you can have for yourself. He came to offer abundant life. Abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a way that seems right to man, that seems right to us, but that way leads to death. Jesus came to offer us abundant life. But there's a condition on that. It's got to be his way. Father, we thank you that you do love us. And I just come against any attempt for any condemnation to try to come into this message. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, Father, we embrace conviction. We say, bring it on, O God. Bring on your conviction. Deal with me, Father. I submit to and I cooperate with your dealings in my heart, my life. Lord, that you would show me, that you would show us the areas that you want us to surrender to you, to submit to you. We want to learn to walk with you more effectively, Father. Thank you so much for your goodness. And we just praise you and we thank you, Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We have a wonderful week. I would encourage you to sign up out there for the Fear the Lord series. Have an awesome week.